as we come now before the Word of God. If you brought a Bible along with you, and I would encourage you to do that in uh, future weeks, if you brought a Bible, uh, turn with me to the book of Exodus. Uh, your bulletin has uh, Exodus chapter 4 in there, so we will focus on a part of Exodus chapter 4. Uh, but before we even pray here, uh, we're going to try something just a little bit different than we normally do. Um, I want to back up before our text to read all of chapter 3 all the way up through the end of our, of our section in chapter 4. Uh, so this is a, maybe a page and a half of material here from God's Word. And, uh, and I'm reading all of this together this morning, not because I just think we need a refresher, uh, because we've been away from the book of Exodus for about a month here, uh, nor is it just because, you know, you're trapped in your car and can't do anything about it to stop me. Um, I, I know that you value these sorts of things, too. I want to read all of this at once, because... This is the whole burning bush account in one event. And so I think it will benefit us to hear it all together. And it's only going to add five minutes here, and, and it's a five good minutes uh, to read it all. So before I read, would you join me in prayer here? Uh, Lord Jesus, we trust the helper that you've sent uh, the Holy Spirit. Lord, by your Spirit, would you help me to speak what is true and help us to hear and to believe these things. Lord, work in our hearts. Cause us to put our hope in you and to praise you for all that you are. We do give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is now the book of Exodus. I'll begin in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. I'll try to note the section of text that we'll focus on when we get to it. But Exodus 3, verse 1. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside and see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not come near. Take off your sandals, off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, 
a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and, have, and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What's that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. And so he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. And so he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. 
God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. And so he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him, and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. This is the word of God. Now, the Lord's main purpose here in the burning bush is to send Moses to bring God's people out of the affliction of Egypt. He repeats it several times, even again in this final part of the text that we're focusing on. In verse 12, he says, now, therefore, go. This is about to be a major event in history. Israel has been in slavery in Egypt now for about 400 years. Generations have born, been born and died as slaves. And there are now hundreds of thousands, perhaps even millions of Hebrew people that are now going to be brought out. And this is going to happen by a series of signs and wonders, what we know as the plagues. God is about to smack Egypt, one of the world's great superpowers, with his judgment. A judgment that will reach to every single doorstep in the land. The scale of this is massive. And God is saying to Moses here, go, I am sending you now on this epic rescue mission. But look here what Moses reduces this massive work of salvation to. Moses' main concern here at the end, you can see it repeated, is his mouth. 
massive scale of salvation, Moses here is concerned about his mouth. When Moses is called by God to go to Pharaoh, you can see verse uh, 10, he says, I'm not eloquent. And then he says, I'm slow of speech and tongue. The, The Hebrew phrase here literally means, I am heavy of mouth. Now, some scholars, there's been some speculation about what exactly Moses means by saying he's heavy in the mouth. Uh, Perhaps he's saying that he has some sort of uh, speech impediment. Uh, Maybe he's he's got a stutter or maybe a lisp. Some think that uh, Moses is saying that he's been away from Egypt now for about 40 years, that he's forgotten a lot of the Egyptian language by now. Uh, Some think that Moses is just saying that he's too shy or that he's a bad public speaker. Maybe he's even a mumbler. Perhaps even all of these things are true, or (laughs) perhaps none of them are actually true. You know, if we keep reading in the story, as we follow as Moses leads the people out of Egypt, and then for the next 40 years in the wilderness, we see no evidence there that Moses actually has any verbal difficulty But to the Lord, it doesn't really matter whether Moses has a heavy mouth, actually, or not. The Lord, you'll notice here, doesn't affirm or deny whether Moses has a heavy mouth. He just says, who made man's mouth? It's not only your mouth, Moses, every man's mouth. Who made that? I made that. And more than just being the creator of the mouth, he says, I will also guide your mouth. Verse 12, now therefore go, and I will be with specifically your mouth and will teach you what to speak. In other words, whether your mouth is actually heavy or not, Use it. Open it. Go and speak to Pharaoh with it, because I am sending you, and I will go with you. A heavy mouth is no excuse. Jesus says a similar thing when he sends out his disciples in Matthew chapter Uh, 10, just a few verses here. He says in verse 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Uh, Verse 19, When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So before we are put on the spot, it might be good to prepare, to think about what we might say ahead of time, but they're not to let fear lead them, and same for us, not to let fear lead us into anxiety, 
or to be worried or to be paralyzed because when you speak, at least in this case here, the Spirit of God the Father is speaking through you. So don't let a heavy mouth stop you. I know too many Christians who forget this. If you are a Christian, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus has forgiven all of your sin, all of it already, it is put to death, and you are now born again into a new life. We just celebrated all of that in the Easter resurrection of Jesus. Praise God. But part of your new life is now that Christ has put the very Spirit of God within you. His power and presence is working in you, even if it feels like you are just babbling, even if it feels like you've just got, a, just got a mouthful of marbles. I also know too many Christians who think, in relation to their friends who may not know Jesus, they think, if I could get this person to just come to church, if I can just get them to hear my preacher, or if I could just get them to watch this YouTube video or to read this book, because those people can all say this much better than I can. There may be some truth within that. There certainly are people who are more articulate than you. That's certainly true of me. There are various gifts, some even of speaking, some have a particular way with words more than others. We're thankful for that. We want those gifts to be used. And at the same time, that does not change the fact that God may be calling your heavy mouth to be the one to speak. Who made, God's, or who made man's mouth? Isn't he the one who is with you? Do not let a heavy mouth stop you or be your excuse or cause you to say, I can't go. If God opened the mouth of Balaam's donkey, surely he can do the same with you. During this season, where we are largely confined to our own homes, your mouth, at least, is not confined. During this time of global lockdowns, your mouth right now may be actually the least heavy thing about you. So use it. Honor God with it. Where might the Lord be calling you to speak? Who does he want your heavy mouth to speak to? I want to make sure we keep our eye on the path here. 
It is good and important that we consider where the Lord might lead us in this because the whole of the scripture does call the Christian to speak. And at the same time, we also know that this text here is a particular and a unique situation. It's the Lord calling Moses to speak here, not us. Uh, None of us, me, you, or any of the rest of us, are called just to go to a Pharaoh and say, let my people go. (laughs) So the text here is not mainly telling us what to do, although we should consider that. The text here is mainly showing us true things about who our God is. And we need to hear that. Even though our context now is very wildly different from Moses's, the same God who was with Moses 3,500 years ago is now the same God who is with us now. So the question then for us is, who is this God? What do we see about the Lord here who made man's mouth. In the rest of our time here, I want to draw out three particular things we see in this account about God. Three things that I think will encourage us to trust him and perhaps even to speak about him more. Uh, But first, before I get to the three, I want to underline one big thing we see about God here that's threaded through the whole burning bush account. Uh, So I guess technically I've got four things to tell you. I'm I'm sneaking one in uh, since three. You know, you don't want to go past that. I'm sneaking one in. But here's the, the big one that we see through the whole account. Do not miss here the patience of God. The patience of God. If you read the whole account of the burning bush like we just did, you might notice that that the bulk of the conversation at the bush consists of the Lord's patient responses to Moses' resistance to obey. So the burning bush account in some ways reminds me of bedtime, with kids, if you've got little kids at home or if you've babysat or had uh, little kids once upon a time and, and you tell your young child, it's time to go put on your jammies. Of course, they all go right to their room and put on their pajamas, right? If only. <laughs> uh, suddenly, it seems like that, that child who's just been told to put on the jammies is, is curious about all the, the deep things of life and the universe and everything, and just has a bunch of questions that are all just uh, distractions, really. And it seems that we're seeing the same here with Moses, that he's throwing all of these things back at God. We actually see uh, five major buts that he gives the Lord. But who am I to go? But what if people ask your name? But they won't believe me or listen to me. But I have too heavy a mouth and tongue. And then the final big one is, but please send somebody else. Moses doesn't want to put on his jammies. 
And if, you ever have, if you've ever sat on the bed at bedtime, waiting for a child to finish their tenth drink of water, between singing the full-blown you know, opera that they've just uh, made up on the spot that they're now singing to you, and in between their dancing of the jitterbug. If you've ever experienced that, you know how truly amazing it is that the Lord is so patient with Moses here. And he will continue to be patient with Moses even throughout the rest of his life. So that's the one thread that we see all the way through. Along with the Lord's patience, I want to draw out here just three things that we can see also about our God. The first is this. We see God's anger. God's anger. Look in verse 13. But Moses said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. We should never confuse God's being patient with God being a pushover. We should not think that if we drag out our disobedience long enough that God will eventually give in, that God will eventually forget or get tired and we'll finally get our own way. No, if we drag out our disobedience long enough, we will eventually see God's anger The Lord tells us about himself, and we see it is also true, that he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But slow to anger means and implies that he may still get there, that he may still get angry if we keep pushing him. And Moses here pushes. He pushes for the very last straw when he says, please send somebody else. This is Moses' disobedience. It is sin. And because the Lord is righteous, unlike us in our anger, because the Lord is righteous, he is only ever angry at sin. He's only angry at sin. And it is good for us that he does not show his anger every time we sin. Because otherwise we would only see God as angry all the time. But it's also good for us that he does show his anger at our sin sometimes. We need to see his anger sometimes. It's actually part of his love and patience toward us. His anger here is the thing that finally stops Moses' dawdling about his jammies and gets him in gear back to Egypt to save the people. We need to see the Lord's anger. That's the first. 
The second thing that we see here in this text is God's provision. God's provision. When Moses makes this final push here, you know, please send somebody else, you'll notice that even in the midst of the Lord's anger, the Lord does what Moses asks. Verse 14, we see he sends Aaron. Please send somebody else. So he sends Aaron, Moses' brother. Now, he's not sending Aaron instead of Moses, but he sends Aaron now to go with Moses. We're told Aaron will speak for you, Moses. Aaron will be your mouth to the people. And this, to be clear, is not a compromise. It's not like, you know, the Lord, or the Lord wanted Moses to go, and, and Moses didn't want to go at all, so the Lord says, all right, here's the deal. I guess we'll just send two people. That's not what's happening here. If you look carefully in verse 14, you can see that uh, the Lord says, Aaron, let me find it, Aaron is coming out to meet you. Aaron is coming out. Not Aaron will come out to you. Not I will send Aaron. I, am al- I have already sent him. He is coming. The Lord has already sent Aaron on his way to Moses before Moses has even asked for it. So this is not just a negotiation. This isn't just a second best. <laughs> and then ironically, as, we, as it turns out with the Pharaoh and before all the plagues, Moses is the one that ends up doing a lot of the talking anyway instead of Aaron. But we see here still that the Lord heard Moses' request and remarkably God grants provision. We need to see the Lord's provision. That's the second. Third, finally, we see here God's resolve. God's resolve. We see in this text that what the Lord determines to happen here will absolutely happen here. The Lord has resolved that Moses will go to Egypt. Moses will go. The Lord has resolved that Moses will speak to Pharaoh. Moses will speak. The Lord has resolved that the people will be saved out of slavery. The people will be saved. Can you imagine how unsettling and even scary it would be if all of Moses' hemming and hawing could somehow put even a dent in God's resolve. Can you imagine if Moses' disobedience could reach a point in which God would just throw in the towel? Moses, you're too much work. These people are too much work. I give up. You are too much. Can you imagine if Israel's salvation ultimately was dependent upon Moses? What Moses would do or not do? 
what Moses would say or not say, and not entirely, totally dependent on God. There are some people, Christians, some Christians who view even their very own salvation this way who see salvation as something that is offered by God through Christ, but it's not fully resolved by God. It's not fully set. Somehow it's dependent on some other person or circumstance or other thing. It's not entirely in his hand. And if that's the case, a person in that mindset will be left wondering, am I good enough? Did I do enough? Did I have faith enough? Did I obey enough? That idea is like quicksand. Do not let yourself get stuck in it. We need, desperately need, to see the Lord's resolve here. Take a look then, a hard look at the burning bush, and see our God. Whether it's from slavery or from sin, salvation is entirely, entirely in his hands. And what the Lord resolves to do, he will do. So in the end, when the people are rescued, they sing in glorious praise. And they sing not to Moses not to themselves, but they sing to their great Lord, for He has become their salvation. Would you pray with me? Ah, Lord, would you help us this morning to see you for all that you are, to see that you are rich in patience, even sometimes in anger, and that you have full provision and even full resolve. Lord, we want to see you more so that we will know you more, so that we'll praise and trust you more. Help us to believe these things and cause us to even speak of your great name. You are our great God, and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.